The New Testament book of Romans is intimidating enough to read. However, there's a shortcut called the Romans Road, but it begins with some bad news in 323. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The bad news gets worse in 623 and then turns sharply towards some good news. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter 10, the Romans road continues with two more turns towards salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Travel the Romans road all the way to faith in Christ. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian. Thanks for spending part of your busy Friday here with us. Today, we return to the book of Romans, a theological masterpiece, but one that can often be difficult to read and understand. The letter can be broken down into five parts, sin, salvation, sanctification, the sovereignty of God, and Christian service. It's those final two, sovereignty and service, that Ron talks about next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. To hear any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now with part two of his Something Good Radio message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. The Apostle Paul, after that discussion, raises his rhetoric by comparing, and now I'm further on in uh, chapter 8, the sufferings of this life to future glory. He shows us how the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He reminds us that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then he uh, also tells believers that we are more than conquerors in Christ. What a, a grand section of scripture within the grandest of all epistles is chapters 6, 7, and 8. But I, I got to move on. The fourth major section in Romans is Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul waxes eloquently about the sovereignty of God and um, how he is faithful to his promises. Now, Romans 9, 10, and 11 has puzzled uh, many Bible students, why would Paul include a lengthy dissertation about Israel and the sovereignty of God in his epistle to the Romans? Well, remember this. Paul is making a case for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 16, he says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Therefore, how God is demonstrating his sovereignty and his faithfulness to Israel, his chosen people, that's an important consideration. And the apostle to the Gentiles here argues, listen to this carefully, that since God is and will be faithful to keep his promises that he made to Israel, we can trust him too. If he's not going to keep his promises to Israel, why should we think that he's going to keep his salvation promises to us? If he's going to cast Israel aside because they were faithless, 
Why wouldn't he just cast us aside? This is why Romans 9, 10, and 11 is so important. As much as, whoo, we're going to swirl the Milky Way on this one. This is when it gets a little bit mysterious. To even the casual gospel observer, it certainly appears that God turned away from Israel. But did God reject Israel or did Israel reject her Messiah? Well, Paul argues for the latter starting with the discussion about Israel's past and how God sovereignly chose the seed of Abraham. Do you remember this? Through Isaac, not Ishmael. Through Jacob, not Esau. Also, he argues that though salvation came from the Jews, it was never for the Jews only. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and the Abrahamic covenant. I chose and Abraham and pulled you out of the Ur of Chaldees and a great nation would come of you. This, this was the Hebrew people and the nation of Israel to be a blessing to the world. It was through the Jewish people Messiah would come. So salvation came from the Jews, but it was never for the Jews alone, Paul argues. In chapter 10, Paul moves from Israel's past to her present. He begins by repeating his deep desire for Israel to return to God, which he he uh, mentions first in chapter 9 and verses 1 through 3, Paul's heart aches for his own people. He says, I would rather be accursed from God if only my people would come to faith in their Messiah, Jesus. And then he makes this important point about salvation, chapter 10 and verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Couldn't have been more clear there. If you go into the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And he did. And he is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then with the passion of of an evangelist making an altar call, uh, Paul uh, continues in chapter 10 and verse 9, and he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He couldn't be more clear than that. And then in verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I got to pause right now and just ask you, have you called on the name of the Lord in faith? Faith alone in Christ alone. If you have, you're saved. You're rescued from the penalty of sin, from the power and mastery of sin over you, and one day from the very presence of sin. Things have fundamentally changed in your life because of your faith in Christ. But if you have never called upon the name of the Lord, today needs to be a day of salvation for you. As Paul would say, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then quoting Isaiah, Paul agrees that those who preach the good news of Jesus Christ have beautiful feet. And and, hey, maybe I do. I got new shoes on this morning. Beautiful feet. He's reaching back to Isaiah chapter 40 to talk about those who preach the gospel. However, Paul expresses the Lord's deep, deep disappointment with disobedient Israel. In chapter 11, Paul returns to the question, has God rejected Israel? And he repeats the strong response in Greek, by no means, he has not rejected Israel. And people who just want to cast aside Israel and teach something that's called replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. Hogwash. 
The fact that God has a plan for Israel and will keep his promises to Israel. He says, I will be faithful even though you're faithless to his chosen people. That's significant for us as New Testament believers because it goes to the the faithfulness of God in keeping his soteriological promises, his salvation promises to us even though sometimes we act like Old Testament Israel in our disobedience. Paul presents himself and Elijah as examples of the remnant God always chooses. And then he presents Gentiles as branches that God has grafted into this spiritual olive tree. But as for God's chosen people, Israel, he says in chapter 11 and verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We are in um, uh, what's called the church age, the time of the Gentiles. And on either end is God's plan for Israel, which I had time to go into more detail there. Paul concludes this very mysterious section, uh, Romans 9, 10, 11, with a doxology where he talks about, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his ways. Yeah, when you skate around the Milky Way about the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of his promises to Israel and to us, I just picture the apostle tossing his hands upward in worship and exclaiming, some things about our sovereign God even I don't fully understand. And that's where he finishes uh, Romans chapter 11. And that brings us to the fifth and final section of this, this incredible book. Um, that turns significantly away from doctrine now to duty. And that's kind of Paul's Paul's, uh, mode of writing, his mode of operation in all of his New Testament epistles. He lays out his doctrine first. And then he says, in light of that, this is how we should live. And so in the final section, chapters 12 through 16, Paul applies Christian theology to everyday life. Don't ever buy into the idea that theology is irrelevant. No. You got to know what you believe and why you believe it before you ever put anything into practice. And and Paul lays it out, the the doctrine, about as elegantly as you can. And now he says, let's put it into practice. Doctrine becomes duty. Belief transitions into behavior. Faith finds expression in practical ways, starting with the apostle urging believers to present their physical bodies, yes, our physical bodies, to the Lord, he says, as living sacrifices, proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry, to ask our ministry team to pray for you, or to order selected resources from our online store. Here's something else for you. Today, Ron wants to bless you with a new resource that goes along with the series you're hearing now, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. He's written two beautifully designed editions that cover the Old and New Testament. 
And both volumes can be yours today for your gift of $50 or more. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous gift to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Now let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Uh, then quickly, Paul moves into a discussion about spiritual gifts there in chapter 12. And then he talks about the marks or the evidences of a true Christian at the end of chapter 12 there. Service to God and others dominates Paul's heart and his pen in this section. In, in chapter 13, he makes the connection between our relationship to God and governing authorities. Isn't that interesting? He gets as practical as saying, hey, Christian, follower of Jesus, uh, here's what you need to think about in terms of the governing authorities over you. He also talks about how love fulfills the entire law. In chapter 14, when it comes to exercising our Christian liberty, love is also the governing principle. Love limits our liberty. I often uh, say, as one of my professors once did, that love also limits your leadership. We should not exercise our Christian liberty in a way that causes a weaker brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And in chapter 15, Paul presents Jesus Christ as the supreme example of surrendering one's liberty for the sake of, of others. That's a, it's a fascinating presentation he makes there. Uh, Paul reaffirms his ministry to the Gentiles. He revisits his longing to visit Rome, the eternal city, in person. And then he finishes his grand epistle in a very personal way. Wow, the, uh, the, the distance we've traveled here from the, the deep and wide and mysterious doctrine of chapters 1 to 8 and even 9 to 11. In chapter 16, uh, Paul greets 16 people by name. He's personal. He's relational. Uh, he, he's, he's not so wrapped up in his ivory tower doctrine and theology that he can't relate on a personal level to people. And then he closes with this uplifting benediction. Chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. Listen to this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ... According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. How else can you conclude but to say amen? So let it be. Amen, in this case, is a drop the mic moment for the Apostle Paul. And what a grand way to end such a grand canyon-like epistle that Paul writes to the Romans but has uh, every bit of application and meaning to us today 
as it did to the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, who uh, read this letter that was circulated from the Apostle Paul. The Christian Manifesto. You could spend a lifetime in Romans and maybe only scratch the, the depth and the width and the height of the meaning of this, this gospel, the gospel that is our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, simple enough for a child to understand and elegant enough, mysterious enough to challenge the most stubborn intellect among us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul goes head to head, toe to toe, eye to eye, with any one of us that might um, reject the knowledge of God that begins in creation, that is uh, coded into the human heart to our conscience. Oh, you can suppress it. You can deny it all day long. But saying something or somebody doesn't exist doesn't make it true. Don't be a truth suppressor. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And Paul says, you will be saved. Saved and rescued from the sure damnation of a truth suppressor. But God's grace shines beautifully, doesn't it? Why Romans, uh, why does he start that way? You know, it's sort of like a, um, a jeweler who takes some diamonds, beautiful sparkling diamonds, and lays them against a, a black velvet backdrop. Makes the diamonds sparkle all the more. And so, you know, Paul begins with the blackness and the darkness and the depravity of the human heart. And only when you do that does the, the brilliance of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ shine the way it does. Let it shine brightly in your heart today, friend. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, and if you have, understand the fundamental and monumental change that took place in your life that Paul elegantly lays out in chapter six, seven, and eight. Cling to the promise that God will remain faithful to every salvation promise that he makes, including one where he says, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming again, friends. That's part of the salvation package. And, and live your life, your everyday life, in light of the transformation that Christ has for sure brought about. Know who you are in Christ. Know it so well that like an accountant, you draw those double lines at, at the end after you've calculated it and you consider it to be true. And in light of that, you begin presenting the members of your body as members of righteousness, not to the old, dark, depraved you that used to be you. That doesn't define you anymore as a believer in Christ. But now you're in Christ. And this becomes also our first introduction to that phrase that we will find throughout all the Pauline epistles. Um, the, 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 the mystery and the magnificence of what it means to be in Christ. The depth of it, the width of it, 
uh, the elegance and the beauty and the mystery of it is truly grand. It's truly grand. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Dr. Ron Jones joins me in the studio. And Ron, I don't even know where to begin. So much to talk about, so little time. So I've decided to take the easy way out today and ask you this. Is there anything you'd like to add or to reemphasize from your two-part message on the book of Romans? You know, Brian, there is one thing I'd like to emphasize, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. But the only way to fully appreciate this good news, this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to fully embrace the bad news that precedes it. I said it earlier today, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And the wages of that sin, the Bible says, is death. Furthermore, think of it this way, Brian, we arrive in this world, we're born into this world already contaminated by sin. Uh, Think of a new laptop computer arriving at your office and you discover that the operating system is already corrupted by a virus. Well, that's us, and that's sin, and that's the bad news. And until we deeply understand and embrace the reality of our own badness, Well, our appreciation of God's goodness will remain tainted or incomplete in some way. Now, some may say, well, I'm I'm really not all that bad of a person. I'm a lot better than some people I know. Well, that's a falsehood. But for the sake of argument, even if it was possible that a person wasn't all that bad, Jesus would still have had to be all the way crucified in order for that person to be all the way saved. And there's no such thing as uh, a little bit saved. There's no such thing as a little bit good. There is the all the way good. There is the all the way evil. There is no in between. Uh, So no one who has ever lived was good other than Jesus Christ. We're either all the way saved through him or we're all the way unsaved without him. Are you following me? Uh, So my encouragement for everyone listening today is this. Accept the Bible's diagnosis of your spiritual condition apart from Christ. Understand just how depraved you are, just how corrupted by sin our operating system is, just how wicked we are, just how much uh, all of us, every one of us who has ever lived, is spiritually bankrupt and in need of someone else to pay that debt, a debt that Jesus Christ paid on, on the cross. Do that. And what Jesus did for you on the cross and through his glorious resurrection will become so much more glorious, so much more beautiful, uh, so much more uh, good news than you can ever hope to stand. And that's when you'll fall in love with Jesus all over again, or perhaps fall in love with him and give your heart and life and soul to him for the first time today. For today is the day of salvation. Well, I'm glad I left that one up to you, Ron. Such a wonderful reminder of just how good the good news really is. Now, before we go, tell us what's coming our way Monday as you continue your teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Well, Brian, our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, ancient Corinth was one of the most depraved and sinful cultures in the world at the time. It offered something for every known sinful desire. 
Uh, The expression to be like a Corinthian meant notorious evil and debauchery and was synonymous with prostitution. But here's the good news, Brian. The pure gospel of Jesus Christ was made for a city like Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul and others on his ministry team planted a church there. But you know what they found? They found it difficult to keep Corinth out of the church. The culture began creeping into that body of believers. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So many practical lessons we can learn from the book of 1 Corinthians, and that's where we're headed next time as we move ahead in my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. That's Monday when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, 1 Corinthians, Body Life. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.